Well, good morning, friends. So great to see you this morning. If we have not had the pleasure of meeting just yet, my name is Jordan Johnson. I have the joy of serving as our lead pastor, one of our elders here at PVC. And church, you sound so good this morning singing to our Lord as we rest in Christ and Christ alone. What a Savior we have, amen? What a glorious Savior. If you're new with us and you're online, we're so glad that you're here. If you're in the room, we are walking through the 16th book in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bible, if you'll head there, Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12 today. I know you're thinking, Jordan, that's 84 verses. We know how long you can get. How long are we going to be here? Well, I'm going to try to get us out by one today. I'm just kidding. We're, we're going to walk through these two chapters. I'm not going to look at every particular verse as there are some lists here, some high-level principles that I want to lift out for us and really show you the gold that I have mined out from these two chapters. And then we're going to end our time with eight, eight um, marks of a healthy corporate worship service. Because what you're going to see today is the people of God are worshiping, particularly in chapter 12. And there are some principles we can lift out as we think about our own corporate worship today. Um, If you are new with us, uh, we have been in Nehemiah since September, which that means you've missed a whole lot. Uh, But you've come on a good day because we are going to look at a people who are dedicated to their God. And that is who we seek to be here at Pleasant Valley Church, a dedicated people to our God and all that he has called us to be and do in his word. But if you are new, we do have our sermons on Spotify or on Apple Music or on other mediums where you would get your digital content. Or if you want to view the service, then we always have our YouTube channel for you to catch up on where we are out. Well, let's pray together, friends. Our Father, we are a grateful people. Um, We marvel at all of the bounty of blessings that you have provided in our lives. Friend, take a moment right there where you're at and just thank God for the bounty of blessings in your life, that there is no other person that you can give credit to but God. Would you give him credit for just a moment? Our Lord, as we think about a national holiday of Thanksgiving, we know that you've called us as the people of God to always have an attitude of gratitude. And yet, God, we are saved sinners. And so we often struggle with walking in gratitude. And we're grateful for things like Thanksgiving that help us be called back to what we're always called to be as your people, a grateful people, a a thankful people, a people that have great praise and thanksgiving for all that you have blessed us with. And God, I pray for our dear church family and our friends that are here today. Um, Particularly, the holidays can be a difficult time for some people as they think about those who are not around the table this year or Thanksgiving, as great as it is, it brings up a lot of challenges for some people. So I pray that your grace, God, would be really strong at those tables and in those families this year. And Jesus, that you would be acknowledged and worshiped and pointed to as the giver of all good things. We know most of all, our salvation is what we value the most. And as we have declared to you, we know that 
God's salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Thank you for opening our eyes to see our need for a Savior. Lord, if there's someone among us or watching online and they yet have called upon you, Jesus, to save them, that you would just awaken that in their heart, God, that they would learn of you and learn what it means to rest their soul in you by repenting of sin and putting faith in Christ alone. And Lord, for all of us now, by the power of your Spirit, we're going to feast right now on Nehemiah 11 and 12, so would you give us the ability to read, to hear, to understand, and God then leave and apply. For we know that affirming things that are true, that is not enough for you. You want a dedicated, obedient people. And we see that in Nehemiah 11 and 12 today. So would you use these two chapters to embolden us all over again to be dedicated to all that you have called us to be and do. We ask it in your good name, Jesus. And everyone said, the last few weeks, beginning in chapter 8, we began to make our descent uh, toward the end of the book of Nehemiah. Chapter 1 through 7 is the first half of the book. Chapter 8 to the end of 13 is the back half of the book. And really in chapter 8, you see the people of God come back to their God. They spent seven chapters rebuilding a wall so that they could be protected from the other nations. Chapter 8, they realize we have not followed God and His Word. And so Ezra, who was a teacher, he gets out the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and he reads it for six hours. And they weep because they realize we have failed our God. And then in chapter 9, they read the Bible for like six more hours, and then they pray and confess more sin and praise God for like six more hours. And then last week, chapter 10, they get their pen out, and the leaders sign a document saying, we have failed when it comes to marriage. We talked about that. We have failed when it comes to observing the Sabbath, and we have failed um, when it comes to a number of other things. And so those leaders last week signed a covenant, signed a document that said, we're going to lead the people better. And that brings us to where we're at today. This threefold movement was preceded by these folks rebuilding this wall in 52 days. Nehemiah prayed about it for four months, and then it just took 52 days to get those walls back together. Now they need to go repopulate the city. They've got walls. There's not homes that have been built there. It's in shambles. It's been a ghost town. There's been nobody living there for these 70 years that they've been in exile. They've come back. They've, the temple's been built. The wall's been built. The problem is there's nobody living there. And what is good to rebuild walls that protect people if you don't have people to protect? And so chapter 11, they're going to have to go back to Jerusalem, back to repopulate the city that they left. And they're going to go back there, and it's not the easiest of assignments. In fact, um, it was not safe to live in Jerusalem. The problem, nobody wanted to go back to Jerusalem. There's a couple of reasons why that you should know they don't want to go back to Jerusalem. Number one, it was not safe to live there. Jerusalem was not a place that you would want to move your family back to and say, you know, there's a lot of great opportunity, there's some great playgrounds, there's some great parks, um, our family, there's a, great, a lot of great jobs there. It was dangerous. 
Again, these walls have been down for 70 years. These other nations have watched this, and they're not excited about these walls going back up. And so they're probably going to test these walls out and see how good are these walls. They're, they're probably going to attack the city. And so if they go back there, they're possibly signing up for death. Second of all, if they left the safe suburbs, they lived in the, the burbs, the suburbs outside of Jerusalem, if they'd moved to the inner city, would be the way we would think about it, if they moved to the inner city of Jerusalem, that would mean they have no land, which would mean they would have no crops, which means they would have no food, that was their business, that was their commerce. And so they're not, nobody's raising their hand in Jerusalem and saying, I'll go back to Jerusalem. Because they're scared, number one. And number two, how are they going to eat? There is no land, there is no business. So inhabiting Jerusalem is a necessity for God's people. Why? Because in Jerusalem is the temple. The temple is where God has given his intimate presence. God is everywhere, but he has given his presence at this time in the temple around the Holy of Holies. So if the people of God are going to worship their God in a corporate way, they're going to have to get back to the temple. So it is, it is a necessity they go back there. But second of all, God had instrumented a place in the temple for all the nations to come and that it would be a house of prayer. And so they need to go back because they need to worship their God. But God actually wanted to use Jerusalem as a light for people to come and see who is this God these people worship? What is so good and great about him? And it would be a means to bring all the nations to Jerusalem to learn about the God that Israel served. So they need to go back. They need to repopulate. And this is where the leaders step in. This is what good leadership does. When people don't want to do what God has called them to do, leaders need to step up. Notice the leaders, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. Notice who's already living there. Leadership is tough, tough business. Leaders are not living in their, you know, plush houses out in the suburbs somewhere. They're living in the hard place in Jerusalem. And they're saying, listen, we get, you're going to have to join us. And so the rest of the people cast lots to bring some, I'm sorry, to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the inner towns. So the leadership uses this primitive practice of casting lots. Think dice, think throwing dice, and the book of Proverbs says that when these lots were cast, God's sovereign hand would make them land how he wanted them to land, and thus God would communicate his sovereign will through this primitive practice. And so the lot falls, and notice one out of ten people go back to Jerusalem. But notice two. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So two groups here. One, the people who the lot fell on. Two, we got some volunteers that raised their hand and said, we'll go. Both groups are making a major sacrifice to leave the comfort of the suburbs and move into the inner city of Jerusalem. And I think part of them saying, we bless you people, is thank God we ain't got to go. I think that's part of them saying they bless the people. Like, like hey, I'll get up whatever I got to do. We'll have a parade for them to go back there. If I ain't got to go, 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 go. Now, what these people do that go is they prefigure, watch this now, they prefigure another Jew one day who will take a hard assignment in Jerusalem. 
namely Jesus. That Jesus would take the hard assignment, wouldn't he? And he would go back to Jerusalem and he would die upon a Roman cross. It was an ugly, ugly, ugly reality. And yet these people are sacrificing themselves as a prefigure to the greatest Jew to ever live, our Lord Jesus going into the city and paying for the sin of his people. But notice what else is said about these folks. Notice verse 6 of chapter 11. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And then verse 8, and his brothers, men of valor, 928. And then 14, and their brothers, mighty men of valor. Now, three times these men are recognized with these superlatives, valiant, valiant. These people are valiant because they are willing to go to the hard place. They're willing to go and do the hard assignment. They're willing to go where nobody else really wanted to go. And that begs the question, doesn't it? Are we? Are we? Should God call us? Should God lead us to plant churches? Could God lead you to sell your home in a comfortable part of the world? and go move somewhere else, all because you believe that God is leading you to move to a place so that a people who don't know God would come to know Jesus and know the gospel. Are we willing? Are we willing to do the hard thing? Are we willing to take the hard assignments just like these folks were? Do we believe, friends, that God's presence is strong enough to sustain us even if we pick up our family and move across the country to do what he's called you to do? Do you not believe that God will go before you? Obviously, they did. Notice Psalm 60 in verse 1. With God, the psalmist says, we shall do valiantly. Same language. It is he who will tread our foes. See, it is, it is him. It is with God that we can do valiant things. It is with him that we can go to the hard places. It is with him that we tread our foes. It is with him that we go where nobody else wants to go so that people who have never heard the name of Jesus would hear it. It's with him that we do it. It's by his strength that we go. It's by his enabling that we do what nobody else wants to do. Friend, the question that I think this text really asks of all of us is are we willing to go to the hard assignments that nobody else wants to do all for the mission of God. Also that people who do not know the name of Jesus or people that don't have good theology or people that are in a hard circumstantial situation, are you volunteering your hand to say, Lord, send me, I will go. Friend, it is with him that we do this. And we need to go. We need to go. You know, we joined a, a church when we were in seminary and part of the membership process is they brought you a form to get your passport. When you join the church, you filled out a form for your passport. Because part of being a member there, they thought you're going to go to the nations. Part of being a member here is you're going to go on a short-term mission trip. You're going to go on a long-term mission trip. You're going to go where the gospel is not proclaimed. I'd never seen that before. I thought, man, this church says they want to reach people, but man, they really do want to reach people. 
And their goal is to plant a thousand churches by 2050 in places where there are not churches and the gospel is not known. And they're serious about it. They're serious about going to the hard places because they care about the mission of God going forward. They care about pushing back deeds of darkness in places where it is absolutely dark. Frankly, God's mission will be very uncomfortable. If you think that following the Lord Jesus is going to make your life easier, you don't understand the Christian life. But if you understand that Jesus said, it's not going to be easy, but I'm going to be all that you need. I'm going to be with you. You're not going alone. I'm going with you because you and I must be dedicated to the mission of God as they were. Second of all, I want you to see as we go to chapter 12 that they are dedicated to the worship of God. Not just the mission of God, chapter 11, but they're dedicated to the worship of God, 12, 1 to 43. Notice verse 24 of chapter 12. And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the sons, the son of Cadmiel, with their brothers who stood opposite to them to praise and to give thanks. And then look at 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites, these are the, the, the worship leaders, in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem. You remember back when they needed to get the law? Remember they called the Bible guy? They called Ezra? Like, go get it. And it was like, we want Ezra. We want Ezra. Go get Ezra. Bring him back. He's going to give us the word. Now they're like, okay, go get the Levites. It's time to party. It's time to worship. It's time to celebrate all the heartache we've been through, all the walls that we've built, all of the persecution that we've been through, all the prayer that Nehemiah said that I offered to God, all of this work that we've done. Chapter 12 is the celebration. Chapter 12 of Nehemiah is really the climactic of the book. And then chapter 13 next week ends on a bit of a bummer. It really does. Nehemiah is going to scout people and throw objects out of the temple. It's going to be epic next week, chapter 13, because he is mad and angry. And chapter 13 leaves you saying, we want Christmas. It really does. And that's why we're ending next week, because then we're going to Advent on the first week of December, and we'll start the book of Ruth in, we'll make our way toward Christmas Day. But for now, chapter 12 is a time of celebration. It's a time to look back and say, look what God did, and let's celebrate all that he has done. And, and, and I think just one thing to note from this, when, when we see God do something to bless our body, we ought to celebrate it. Amen? We ought to come together and we ought to celebrate. We ought to give God praise. I think about a faithful preacher not far from here, Alistair Begg, been serving there for 40 years. They're, they're having a, a worship service, or they have one recently because of how God, what God has done in the last 40 years of him being there. But if you go watch that service, it's not really about Alistair Begg at all. It's really about the Lord and about what he has done in the life of that body and how he reshaped it and re reestablished it and a really great powerhouse of a local church in our local area. And, 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 and this is what the people of God have always done, friends. When God shows his hand strong and he flexes his muscle for his people, we should get together and we should celebrate. And that's what they do. They celebrate and they sing. Now, many other religions don't sing. Did you know that? Many religions, they don't sing. They use repetition, they use mindless chants, and in some cases, only the clergy sing. 
Now, why is it that some religions and the majority of the world religions, why don't they sing? Well, I would argue it's because they don't have the gospel. Christianity, as Raymond Brown adequately says, is the happiest religion in the world. And what you find in most world religions is oppression, works-based salvation. Do this, do this, do this, don't do that, and then God will accept you. And yet in Christianity, what we have is the gospel, that actually we can't do anything to merit a right relationship with God. That's why Jesus came, and he lived a perfect life. He died in the place of a sinner like me, and that causes reason to sing. We have much to sing about, friends. We have much to sing about. Jesus has secured our salvation. Our Father's never going to kick us out of the family. You know how many religions? Not only do you have to do things to get in, you've got to do things to stay in. And yet in our faith, in our Christianity, it is Christ that has saved us, and it is Christ that keeps us. On our best day, the gospel is still true. On our worst day, the gospel is still true. When you feel saved, the gospel is still true. When you don't feel saved, the gospel is still true. And when you get a grasp of the goodness of God and the grace of God in the gospel, nobody has to motivate you to sing. Because grace fuels praise. I mean, we even sing at funerals. Do you know how strange that is? We sing at gravesides. Come on, people are dead. We're singing. That's strange to the rest of the world. It's strange that we would sing. So since our inception, we are the liberated singing people of God. We are the liberated singing people of God. One day in eternity, our singing will fill the new heavens and the new earth. Do you realize that? One day, what we're doing right now is preparing us to sing for all of eternity. And I just want to tell you, if you don't like singing, you don't like giving God praise through song, what makes you think you're going to like it later? This is preparing you. This is getting you ready for the eternal state. So you, you, you should go to God and say, God, would you give me a new heart for musical praise? Would you give me a new heart for singing? One thing about our body that I think has really grown in the last four to six weeks, and we can talk about it if you think I'm wrong, but I have noticed the singing is louder in this room during our gatherings. And I think the reason it is is because, friends, we are being reminded every week of how good we have it in the gospel, and that is cause for singing. There are certainly those who neglect the word in the name of, we just need to sing more. There are others who cheapen the importance of singing in the name of, we just love the word of God. We just want to hear the sermon. The truth is, you can't read the Bible and miss the importance of musical worship. From the very beginning, Genesis to Revelation, Exodus 15, they cross the sea, they get on the other side, and what do they do in Hanny? They're singing with tambourines. Hello. They're singing. We are a singing people because that was one Exodus. The other Exodus is when they, uh, at the, the Red Sea, and then the Jordan, and then the final exodus is the fact that we have been delivered from the 
presence and the power and the, and, and, and the penalty of our sin. That is the new exodus. And the majority of the, of the songs in the Bible are written around those three exoduses. And so we have much to sing about. Martin Luther, the old crusty reformer. I just funny when people talk about Martin Luther like he's like some crusty old guy sitting in a castle. He said this, next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. The gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to man that he should proclaim the word of God through music. He says, I have no use for cranks who despise music because it is a gift of God. Music drives away the devil and makes people happy. After theology, I give music the highest praise and greatest honor. Close quote. Amen. So I hope you're not a crank. We should get a shirt that says, don't be a crank. That we should value singing. We should value lifting our voices. And you're like, I can't, I don't have a very good voice. That is not the point. The point is, get your voice up after all that God has done for you. This worship team up here, they're not performing. This worship team up here is not doing your job. This worship team up here, they're not the ones who sing, come on, sing, 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 sing. No, they're just praising the Lord and inviting you to join them in that. So you often hear John say, would you stand and sing with us? Stand and sing. Don't watch us. Sing with us. Because this is a gathering of singing to our great God. We are the liberated people of God. You know, there's a lot of liberation movements. The original liberation reality, and really the only true liberation movement, is the church of Jesus Christ. Because we've been liberated from our greatest enemy, which is sin and death. And when you really wrap your mind around that, you can't help but sing. Amen? Sing. So this people, they were dedicated not just to the mission of God, but to the worship of God. And then finally, Notice 44 to 47, they're dedicated to giving gifts to God. The the, the mission of God, we got to go back to Jerusalem because that's where the temple is, and and we want to be able to reach the nations as they come and see the holy city. Second of all, we're going to praise. Look what God has done for us. We're going to sing. And third of all, they're going to give gifts to God. Notice 44, so on that day, men were appointed over storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law. So the reason, and, and as you read that, keep in mind chapter 10. Remember last week? They dedicated themselves that we're going to take care of the temple. Remember the Persians were the one who were paying for it. The Persians are the one who were funding it, and they were like, no God, you gave us that temple. That is, that is where we gather, and we need to fund it. So keep chapter 10 in mind. Them doing this in verse 44 is them keeping good on their word in chapter 10. Notice, for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns, for Judah, rejoice over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Now, furthermore, I want you to see that they're grateful here for those who are leading them. And I just want to tell you that my, me and my family, we feel the love from you all. And we just want to tell you that we love you too. That God has used so many of you, all of you, in unique ways to help us transition from a 19-hour drive from Texas to here. And in many ways, it feels like we've been here so much longer than 16 months and 17 days. 
And it's because God has used you to help us, to love us, to buy us a snowblower for crying out loud. Yeah, we're ready for it, man. Never seen snow like we've heard. But I just want to say, they were grateful here for their leadership. And I just want you to know that I feel your gratefulness for how God and His grace is using me. I recognize it's not me. I recognize it's Him. But I recognize you all, and I'm so grateful that you love us, and you love us well. So don't miss that. But that's the principle they did here. And next week, when all this goes to pot, and it's going to in chapter 13, it is because they stopped caring for the temple. They stopped caring for the public gathering of the people of God. And if you dismiss a regular gathering with the people of God, your faith will go to pot. Because God uses this gathering to strengthen you in ways that you know and you don't know. It's sort of like eating. You don't remember every meal you ate, right? But you did eat. And you don't remember every sermon that was preached, but God uses them to spiritually give you nutrition that is building you up. So you getting here is is pertinent. It's important to your own development. So be warned, if you don't prioritize this, then it will be for your own spiritual destruction. The majority of friends that I have that at one time were gospel-loving, gospel-preaching, Bible-loving, spirit-driven, those friends that I now are on friends with Facebook or I see here or I talk there that have completely turned their back upon the Lord, they are not connected to a local body. And it was one of the steps that led to their apostasy was they forsook the gathering of the people of God. Because God uses this public gathering to fuel your personal worship all day long. Or I'm sorry, all week long. God uses this. I know very few people that just, you know, mattress, Methodist, bedside, Baptist, me and Jesus and my Bible, they, they cannot reach their, they, they will always be a midget spiritually because God uses this body and you cannot get to your maximum growth without the body. And, and, and we see that here, that they gave gifts to God. Well, how do we apply these two chapters? A lot more we could, be, could be said, but eight marks, eight marks there. We're going to work through these quickly. Eight marks of a healthy worship gathering. So you see the blanks there. The first one, eight Ps. Our worship is purposeful. Purposeful. Our worship is purposeful. What is the purpose of our worship? Well, it is to glorify God. You can't miss this. In chapter 12, verse 27, notice. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places, to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication, that's the walls, gladness, thanksgiving, and with, would you give me that word? Friends, this is what our hearts were made to do. And one of the main ways that we fight self-centeredness, which is your biggest problem, your biggest problem is you. Did you know that? Your biggest problem is your own self-centeredness. Most people that are the most miserable are those who are unusually caught up with themselves. You want to be more miserable? Be self-centered. You want to be more joyful in the Lord? Look away from yourself, giving glory to God and blessing other people. This is why um, our, our biggest problem with ourself is self, 
And this is why self-help books, every year, you go to barnesandnoble.com, you go to amazon.com, you go to any place where you get books. And by the way, who likes really, like, you like a physical book in your hand? Yeah, amen, me too. Just the smell of books. I mean, I can't smell it on my phone. I smell other things. But if you like the phone, that's great. But all I'm simply saying is, is that the number one theme for books year after year after year is self-help. The problem with self-help is yourself is the problem. That's the problem with self-help. Yourself is the problem. And unless you understand that you se- yourself is the problem, then you'll never see that yourself has a Savior. And once you understand yourself has a Savior, now your life will begin to make sense, and you'll be able to find joy in God. Therefore, the remedy for self-centeredness is not to get yourself to behave or learn to lear- love yourself more. Oh, you hear that today. I just need to learn to love myself. I just want to tell, no, no, you love yourself too much. That's why you have all the problems that you have. You need, to, you need to learn to stop loving yourself so much and learn to love God and he'll give you a proper view of yourself and then you'll be able to use yourself for the glory of his name. The reason that many of us don't love God as we should and don't love neighbor as we should is because we are self-centered and God uses worship to remind us of his God-centeredness. And so what is the purpose of our worship? What is the purpose of our public worship? Well, our, our purpose is to make much of God. We don't design our services for the unbeliever. We don't even design them for the, for the believer. We design these services for God, to lift Him up. And what God does is He educates the unbeliever and He edifies the believer. But we make it about Him him. And so the reason that, that we do this is for God. Now notice the instruments here. He says with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Variety of musical instruments here. No doubt because there's different moods in worship, right? There's different moods. Sometimes you celebrate. Other times you lament. Other times you declare. Other times you confess. I mean, there's a number of and, and, and instruments are used to help the different moods and tenses in the public worship gathering. So we ought to thank God for instruments. We ought to thank God because He uses them. It's biblical to have instruments up here. Don't ever let anyone tell you differently than that. They're doing this here. We see this here. The church has always used her voice and used instruments for musical praise. So I want to ask you this. In your personal life, are you singing? Are you singing? in your car, on your walk, on your commute? Are you singing to the Lord? Are you singing about the Lord? I think it would make a huge difference in your personal devotion if you would add singing in it. Add singing in it. So you read your Bible reading plan. You know, the one man said the, 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 the Bible is God's gift to man and the hymn book is man's gift to God. That we write these songs and we sing them back to God. I think it would highly change. There's sometimes I have to go in a room and lock the door because I'm not interested in anyone hearing me singing. But I, I just go get after it. I just go sing. Because singing is a way to praise yourself out of a pit. Sometimes God has you in a pit. And you praise yourself out of that pit. You give him the praise that's due his name, and he gives you perspective. So right now, God has some of you in a pit. I know that, so be intentional. Use singing in your personal devotion. 
Second of all, worship is purifying. Notice verse 30, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the peoples and the gates and the wall. Now, we cannot worship God without a pure heart. And none of us were born with a pure heart. Did you know that? This is why you don't ask Jesus into your heart. You don't need to ask Jesus into your heart. Your heart is rotten. He doesn't want to live there. He wants to give you a new heart. He wants to grant you a new heart so that you will now love Him. And, and this is what worship does. If you're going to worship God, you must worship from a pure heart. But you can't worship Him because naturally because your heart's not pure. But in the gospel, in Jesus, we've been given a pure heart. This is why the book of Hebrews says that through Him, let us offer a sacrifice of praise. Purification precedes worship. So if you're here today and you've never been purified by looking to faith alone in Christ alone, then this would be what you should ask God. God, grant me a new heart. That's what you should ask. God, give me a new heart. Because when he gives you a new heart, now he's going to fuel you to repent of sin and put your faith alone in Christ alone. Without a new heart, you can't do that. You won't do that. And you'll never do that because your heart must be purified. And you can only be purified by the means of the gospel. Third of all, worship is proportional. Notice, so both choirs of those who gave thanks, verse 40 of chapter 12, stood in the house of God and half of the other officials with me. Now, what they're going to do is they're going to have two choirs, and one's going to start on this side of the wall, and one's going to start on this side of the wall, and they're just going to start marching on top of this wall. Now, I remind you, this is the same wall Tobiah said, if you put a fox on it, it'll fall down. Remember that? Now there's thousands of people walking on it, so you're bad, Tobiah. But here's the people, and, and they're singing in two choirs. Now, we, we could do that here. Some of us, well, we, we could do that. But the reality is, is the principle here is that there is a proportion to our worship. There are various kinds of people in our church. We have folks that are more blue-collar. We have folks that are more white-collar, folks that are this, folks that are that, lower class, middle class, somewhere in the middle class, and yet our unity is not in those things. Our unity is in we all are resting in Christ and Christ alone. So we should be proportional. We should not be a church just for people that ride motorcycles. We should not be a church that just is a cowboy church. We should not be a, a church that is a tattoo church. We should not be a church that is whatever the title before, you know, only Browns fan church or only Steeler fan church or only this church. That's, that's ridiculous. And when I see churches do that, I think you've already divided us. Because if, if I'm not a cowboy, I'm not, I'm not going because I'm, not I'm not really, probably going to feel comfortable. So we don't put anything in front of the word church. A church should be a gathering of the proportional body of Christ. We should be proportional. There should be a good range of everyone in a community in a local church. And they should be welcome for all kinds of people. Fourth of all, I want you to notice worship is persistent. Notice, and the singer sang with Jezreiah as their leader. Now that's the worship leader, and we have a Jezreiah, don't we? His name is John Oliveras. And the worship team, including the tech team. And they do a great job of leading us every week. But again, remember, they are not performing. They are merely giving example to worship. Well, one way to think about a worship leader is he is the lead worshiper. Lead worshiper. You want to know how to worship? Watch him. 
lead worshiper. And here's the thing when it comes to persistent worship, because all of us are singers, because all of us have been brought into the family and the people of God, and we all have a new song to sing, a song of salvation. So we need to be persistent in making sure that we are here on the Lord's Day. And I love you, friends, but I'm just going to tell some of us miss Lord's Day worship too much. Too much. I understand you got trips and you got family and you got this, but can I just tell you, Lord's Day worship should be the reason and the excuse that you miss everything else. We all need vacation. We all need rest. We all need times away. But some of us could schedule our schedule different to be able to be back or be with the people of God more. I don't know who needs to hear that specifically, but there should be a persistence in gathering with the people of God. And if you have to be away, can I just tell you, one of the highlights of us going on vacation is getting on the internet at the hotel and looking up a gospel-preaching, Bible-preaching church, and then we love to attend there on that day. It's amazing that people go on vacation, and when it comes to Sunday, oh, we're just going to sleep in and go nowhere. Why? And then you say things like, well, my, my week was just off because I wasn't in worship. And I'm just like, well, yeah. Because God uses the Lord's Day gathering to fuel all the other days. Again, hear me, rest is good. You need to have those rhythms. But some of us need to do a better job. And by the way, if you miss, don't be like, well, I don't want to miss because Jordan will say, no, this is about you and the Lord. I'm just reminding you that you should prioritize. We should prioritize gathering persistently with the people of God. And when we do, number five, passionate, passionate. Notice, God made them rejoice with great joy. So notice, the men are worshiping, the women are worshiping, kids are worshiping. So worship should not be drab. If your mindset is, well, I guess I'll get up and go. That's not the spirit of Nehemiah 12. These folks are going after it. Even in the midst of great sorrow, friend, you can sing. Paul says, I'm in a pit, but I'm still rejoicing because he's drinking deeply of the gospel. After all, the gospel should produce joy in us. Is this not what the angel told us, that he's going to come and he is going to bring great news of great joy for all the people? And what we see here in Nehemiah is they are joyfully praising God. If your passion for worship is lost, ask God to restore it. Not only will He, but He wants to. He wants to restore that in you, where you'll wake up in the morning on, on the Lord's Day and be like, I can't wait to get there. That's the passion. doesn't mean everything in life is good, but it means your passion to be with the people of God and worship and singing, it's there. And then six of all, proclaiming. Proclaiming. Notice, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Now, you could imagine... Um, just like down the road at the Brown Stadium when uh, a worship service is going on there and they're singing and there's excitement and Amari Cooper catches a ball and takes it down the field and they score a touchdown or there's a huge defense uh, um, goal line stand and everybody roars and you can hear it downtown Cleveland. There's some Notice, far away. That's a good picture here of what's going on in Nehemiah. These people are so excited and singing so loud and playing so loud that people from far away are hearing what they are doing. And this is a picture also of proclaiming 
Do you think anybody outside the Browns stadium, when they hear that, do you think that you, they have to be convinced that the Browns are important? No, just listen to their roar. And when we sing on the Lord's Day and we have those who don't know our God, we are proclaiming to them. And I love what Dane Ortland says about worship. He says that you can tell what a church believes on the songs they sing. But you can tell if they believe those songs by how they sing them. I pray for our how here. I pray that we would not just sing really good songs, but we would sing them passionately and recognize that we are proclaiming seven of all providing. Corporate worship providing. Notice on that day men were appointed, verse 44, over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, the tithes, to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. So there's financials given here to ensure the temple leadership's cared for. Um, and even the leadership that was paid by the people contributed to the overall amount. So in our day, pastors that receive or staff that receive money from the congregation, they should also be giving back to that congregation as a means to say, I'm a part of this congregation. And that's what's going on here. God uses the public gathering to provide for those who God has called to minister and take care of them as a means. And again, our family wants to say thank you. Finally, number eight, I want you to see that the worship, public worship, is past-oriented, past-oriented. Notice 46, for long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. For long ago, notice, in the days of David, notice, they're remembering their past here. In fact, they're singing songs that David helped write. Um, Asaph, Asaph is in here too. If you read a lot of the Psalms, they're written by someone named Asaph. And Asaph, they're singing Asaph's old songs. And we should sing old songs. I don't mean like 1960, I mean like 60. I mean like 20. I mean old songs. I mean, I, I quote a lot of dead guys in my sermons. It because I, I do that because it, in one sense it reminds us that we didn't get here overnight. But there's been a long line of faithful saints that God has used to get us where we're at today. So our heritage is very important. We, don't want, we want to avoid dead tradition, dead orthodoxy. Like some churches, they're theologically true, but they're dead as a doornail. We don't want to be that. But there is a way that you can have vitality and historicity. That is, we can honor the Lord in the past that informs our present worship. So we sing to Him, we sing about Him, and our goal when we sing is to sing songs that are theologically deep but artistically beautiful. And so the Lord's Day is used by God to strengthen us so that when we scatter, you are now ready to go scatter well. We gather on the Lord's Day, we scatter, gather, scatter, gather, scatter, gather, scatter. And when we gather, if we seek to accomplish these eight things, then when we scatter here in a moment, we're going to be ready in many ways to go engage with the mission of God, be a worshiping people, and give our gifts to God. May God grant us joy, friends, joy 
And from that, may we give God praise. May we give Him praise. May we be a singing people, and may we not neglect the gathering of the people of God, because your walk with God the other days of the week depends on how well we do this day. Praise God for Nehemiah 11 and 12, and I hope you'll come back next week when we bring this to a close, and we'll see Nehemiah scalping people. He's pulling hair out of people, and he's throwing stuff out of the temple. It's going to be epic. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Our Father, we bless you today for the extravagant amount of grace, goodness, blessing that you have bestowed upon us. We are an unworthy people. We thank you for your grace. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. And we want to be a thankful people. We want to be a generous people. We want to be a people that worship you passionately. We want to be a people that are proportional. Would you continue, God, to send us individuals that don't look like us so that we could be a better reflection of where you've planted this body? So that people that come in this room would see our unity is not found in our preferences, but our unity is found in the principle of the Word of God and the Gospel of God, and that we would be known that way, that when people outside of this body think about Pleasant Valley Church, they would say, man, those people believe the Bible. Those people love God. And those people are diverse. There's, there's different races and socioeconomic statuses and um, different postures of life, and yet they're unified. Lord, would you make it so? For our friends among us who don't know you, God, would you continue to help them grasp the gospel because the gospel is why we sing, the gospel is why we do all that we do. And we praise you for your word, for preserving it for us. And so would you seal these truths in our mind as we prepare to, to scatter here in a moment? Would you help us in our neighborhoods, in our communities, places of work, to shine the light of who you are, to love well and point everybody to Jesus. We pray all of this, Father, by the Spirit, in his precious name. And we all said,